0: Sojourner True, Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Today, our Juneteenth special. President Biden is expected to sign a bill that has passed both the House and Senate to make Juneteenth a national holiday. The push for a national holiday got a boost following the worldwide protests following the police killing of George Floyd. Let's go to a clip now giving some background on Juneteenth.
1: I mean, if we want to honor the end of slavery, then we should celebrate Juneteenth.
2: Wait, that's what Juneteenth is? Juneteenth has only been recently recognized as an official holiday, but it's actually the longest-running African-American holiday celebrating the Emancipation Proclamation. Here's how this once local holiday has become one that is now recognized from coast to coast. June 19th, commonly known as Juneteenth and formerly known as Emancipation Day or Jubilee Day, marks the day that federal troops arrived in Galveston, Texas in 1865, taking control of the state and freeing all enslaved people. The Emancipation Proclamation was issued on January 1st, 1863, which was said to be the day all enslaved Africans and Confederate states were to be set free. In reality, it didn't end completely. In fact, there were still enslaved people in states like Kentucky and Delaware, as well as in Texas, where there wasn't much military presence, so slavery continued. It wasn't until troops arrived in Galveston on June 19, 1865, that 250,000 people were freed. Juneteenth reached new heights in 1872, when a group of black ministers and businessmen established Emancipation Park in Houston, Texas. So now, 160 years later, the story of Juneteenth is still spreading. Today, Juneteenth is celebrated everywhere through family cookouts, parades, festivals, with residents, local businesses, and more. Texas was the first state to recognize Juneteenth as an official holiday in 1980. Since then, at least 45 states and the District of Columbia have moved to officially recognize the day as well. In 2020, following the death of George Floyd, lawmakers reintroduced a bill to make Juneteenth a federal holiday.
1: I mean, mean, if we want to honor the end of slavery, then we should celebrate Juneteenth. Wait,
3: that's what Juneteenth
0: is? As Freedom Day. But what does freedom mean for people of African descent living in the United States for whom it is still a daily struggle trying to get free? What sacrifices did black people make to end slavery? Why did President Lincoln sign the Emancipation Proclamation? Why did it take over two years for those enslaved in Texas to learn about the proclamation? What roadblocks to freedom stand in the way of black people today? What can freedom really mean given a society that prioritizes war and profit over the care of people and the planet? What progress has been made? What is the potential impact of Juneteenth being made into a national holiday? All this amid attacks on voting rights, on black and brown history being taught in schools, the continued killing of black and brown people at the hands of law enforcement, the growing income divide, and the massive increase in mass incarceration. Our guests are actor and humanitarian Danny Glover internationally known historian and author Robin Kelly, and award-winning campaigner for voting rights, Barbara Arnwine. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelation between art and politics. Now for our news headlines.
3: For Pacifica Radio, I'm Eileen Alfonderry. President Biden has returned to the White House after his summit yesterday with Russian President Vladimir Putin and his earlier attendance at a NATO summit. Biden is plunging back into the battle to win congressional approval of his domestic agenda, including an ambitious infrastructure plan. He'll have to decide how to relate to an emerging bipartisan plan being hammered out by a group of 21 Democratic and Republican senators. At the same time, Democratic Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer convened a private meeting of the Democratic Senators on the Budget Committee, led by Bernie Sanders, to set the groundwork for a process that would allow majority passage of the package without the need for Republican votes. Initial Senate votes could start next month. West Virginia Democratic Senator Joe Manchin is opening the door to supporting a voting rights bill. Manchin has proposed an extensive list of proposed Changes to the legislation ahead of a showdown vote in the Senate later this month. He said he's now open to supporting a bill if it is revised, despite declaring earlier this month the measure was the wrong piece of legislation to bring the country together. Manchin would leave sizable portions of the legislation intact or with limited changes, including automatic voter registration, making Election Day a holiday, and mandating 15 days of early voting. He does favor a national voter ID requirement where voters could show utility bill or other identifying document to vote. His proposal leaves out the creation of a public financing system for congressional campaigns and would allow for greater limits on mail voting. Manchin's evolving position comes as he has faced tremendous pressure from voting rights groups who have held protests in his home state. President Biden is set to sign a law making Juneteenth, a new federal holiday. The day commemorates June 19th, 1865, when Union soldiers brought the news of freedom to enslaved black people in Galveston, Texas. It was two months after the Confederacy had surrendered and about two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation. It's the first new federal holiday since Martin Luther King Jr. Day was created in 1983. Nadia Ramelgan reports.
1: A day celebrating the end of slavery is on its way to becoming a federal holiday as the House passed the Juneteenth National Independence Day Act by a vote of 415 to 14. All 14 no votes came from Republicans. Texas Representative Sheila Jackson Lee shortly before the vote.
4: But what I see here today is racial divide crumbling, being crushed this day under a momentous vote uh, that brings together people who understand the value of freedom
1: celebrated on june 19th juneteenth commemorates when the last remaining enslaved people in galveston texas were emancipated by union soldiers for
3: pacifica network and public news service i'm nadia ramlagan california's power grid operator is calling for voluntary conservation measures this evening on what's expected to be the hottest day of the week Large portions of California and much of the West are suffering from a heat wave blanketing the region. It's affecting an estimated 45 million people. Matt Mills with the National Weather Service.
5: We actually have a very large area of high pressure sitting over the desert southwest that originated around the Four Corners region, and it's building westward, and that westward building of the high pressure is bringing a large, warm air mass over the western U.S., including California.
3: The California Independent System operator has issued a flex alert from 5 to 10 p.m. It's urging people to set thermostats to 78 degrees or higher and to avoid using major appliances. Environmental activists in Spain have lodged a legal claim against the government for what they say are its inadequate efforts to reduce carbon emissions driving the climate emergency. The action in Spain's Supreme Court is a preliminary step to filing a lawsuit. An attorney with Greenpeace said Spain's national plan to cut its greenhouse gas emissions 23 percent from 1990 levels by the end of the decade falls short of the European Union target of a 55 percent reduction. The World Health Organization says the African continent is experiencing a third wave of the coronavirus pandemic. COVID-19 cases in Africa are surging by more than 20 percent week over week, deaths up by 15 percent. Almost 12 million Africans are now fully vaccinated. That's still less than one percent of the continent's population. Africa has one-sixth of the world's population. I'm Eileen Alfonderry for Pacifica Radio.
0: And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth, and it is our Juneteenth special. Uh, as we heard uh, in the intro, former President Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, um, and which was formally released over 3.5 million enslaved black people in the Confederacy. Uh, however, we all know that in many cases black people actually freed themselves. We're going to be discussing a bit about why Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation and it was close to three years later on June 19th, 1865, Union Army General Gordon Granger uh, proclaimed in Galveston, Texas, that all enslaved black people will now be free. And uh, historically, Juneteenth has been celebrated in black communities across the United States and recognized as a state holiday or a special day of observance in 47 states. And now a lot of us are celebrating the fact that um, President Biden is expected to sign a bill passed in both the House and the Senate to make Juneteenth a national holiday. But what does it all really mean? And I'd like to welcome Um, our first guest, uh, Mr. Danny Glover. Uh, He, for our audience, really needs no introduction, actor, producer, humanitarian uh, for six years, goodwill ambassador for the United Nations Development Program, focused on poverty, disease, economic development in Africa, Latin America, and the Caribbean. The Directors Guild of America honored Mr. Danny Glover for his advocacy of education and healthcare access. Danny Glover, welcome.
6: Yeah. Good morning. How are you? Okay, are you? it's How been,
0: uh, I'm, I'm okay. It's, it's really been way too long, uh, Danny. Um, Danny, before I, I hear your thoughts on this uh, Juneteenth, let us go to just a, a short clip on um, what Sheila Jackson Lee um, said about Juneteenth, made a very emotional statement about Juneteenth. Let's hear that now.
1: Why is it important that the Emancipation Trail be memorialized that way?
4: You know, I think the nation needs to cry. I think we need to weep. This looms, uh, looms very large in not our healing, but our transformation. It is crucial that we leap into another era. Because the one thing that we're trying to cling to is freedom and human decency and to be treated in a way that our life journey is not filled with human indecencies and that black lives not only matter yes they matter we have to get others to know that but that they are valued because if you don't value a life you can take the life Black lives matter and should be
0: valued. All righty. So, Danny Glover, uh, there you go. uh, She's making the case that the nation needs to cry. But, uh, Danny, you know, the kind of schedule that you run is so hectic. It seems to me anyway, that hour by hour, day by day, you're doing the work, not only for black people to be free, but for freedom for all of us. Your thoughts on this and on this Juneteenth?
6: Well, I think it's been a moment, um, and we have to reflect uh, the fact that we, that we're talking about nationalizing the holiday is, is an impact of the, the work, uh, that a number of communities have given, uh, get done in order to address the issues through the celebration, the continued issues of racism and class through the celebration and poverty rather, through the celebration of Juneteenth. And this is another way of, of, of acknowledging this particular moment, you know. And certainly it, it makes the, the Biden administration uh, look well on, on the issue. Uh, whether we, we, we need to weep or, or, or fight is another thing, Continu- continuously. Because racism, racism has, 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 is, is connected to a system of exploitation, it always has been, you know, from the appropriation of land from First Nation people, uh, and it, it, the, the exploitation of the land itself. I don't appropriate, but the exploitation of the self, uh, itself, has been a major part of, of, of what has happened. Uh, certainly we tried to connect, connect disconnect the, the, the system of slavery, capitalism, uh, from the, uh, from in itself, but they, they, they go hand in hand and they continue to go hand in hand post Juneteenth. At the time, uh, at this particular point in time, we're not fighting for, for, for both of those things because it's systemic change is what we need to really talk about. And certainly part of that is, is, is certainly acknowledgeable by many people of, around Juneteenth but it's much larger than Juneteenth. And, uh, and what we talked about, where, where, did, where did King talk, where, where did King leave us with, where did King leave us with, it moved beyond uh, the, the whole idea of, of, of uh, the issue of, of race, not beyond, but inclusive in an issue of poverty and class as well. And and that support, that, that's the point. That's that's what's the system from this from its inception. Uh, 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 exploitation, um, uh, racial exploitation, as well as class exploitation, as well. And so I, I think when we, we we I'm saying we continue to celebrate this, but we to say we got a long way to go is 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 saying that we're we're we're, we're We really don't really plan to deal with the real issue of the system of exploitation.
0: Yes, and and Danny Glover, I mean, just as we saw with the Martin Luther King Day, a huge fight for it to become a national holiday, and since then we have seen so many efforts to sanitize King, you know, just I have a dream and not really get into the uh, King's radicalism and the fact, for example, that he was a socialist and he called for a general strike. One worry um, for me, I'm sure for others, about this becoming a national holiday is a good thing that it is. I think it will bring a lot more awareness uh, to the nation uh, about what actually happened. But what one can already see efforts to kind of whitewash slavery and that part of the history of the United States. And one has to wonder, uh, besides the 14 Republicans who voted against it, so many of them did vote against it, while at the same time they're supporting so many um, Anti black measures, it seems to me. Danny Glover.
6: Well, the kind of issues, is 17 states that proposed legislation uh, which, which would forbid the teaching of the 1619 16, uh, 16, project. You know, we talk about the 1619 project, you look at the truth about this country. And, and this, Baldwin always said, when well, we cannot tell the truth about our past, we become trapped in it. And that's basically what has happened. This country has become trapped. It's, it's a sense of its own exceptionalism and, and, and also trapped in, 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 in the sense of whiteness. And all those particular things are a part of what we're dealing with today. And we're, we, cannot, we cannot kind of parcel out those things without doing. I think the poor, when King left us with the Poor People's Campaign, and he talked about bringing those together, not excluding not leaving out the kind of racial degradation within the brown community that happens to the brown community and the black community. But also including and bringing buildings and, and c- connecting to the systemic issues. The, s- the system itself. If we can't resolve those within the instance themselves, it's nice to come up with a national holiday of, of for Juneteenth. And I'm not say, I'm saying this in, in all honesty. Because, but it's always something that's been celebrated. I mean, and it's always it's something that we're talking about in the last the last part of the uh, the the twentieth century and into the twenty first century. But the exploitation of the planet itself, the exploitation of resources, who controls, who makes those decisions, are the ones uh, are the descendants of those who made those decisions about slavery, as we often say. That maybe the North may have won the Civil War, but the South won the narrative.
0: Right, and uh, Danny Glover, I know you're really short of time. We really appreciate you taking um, th- this time to be with us. Just uh, finally, for young people uh, who are listening and who may be discouraged, we know that we're facing uh, still so much, a far way from being free in this country, from mass incarceration uh, to um, the majority of people who have died as a result of, of COVID, the racial health disparity. Um, and uh, voter suppression and much more. But what do you say to them? I mean, for example, do you think this holiday, the passage of this holiday, bipartisan and signed by Biden, would even have been possible were it not for action on the street, particularly following the killing of George Floyd? And, of course, young people played a leading role in all of that. Mr. Danny Glover, your final thoughts.
6: Well, certainly... um, what, is, what has happened over the course of the last year and a half or so has been phenomenal, and, and there's certainly uh, there's a, this is a response to that. It, it, it doesn't solve the problem, uh, but it, it's uh, the problem that we have. But it, I don't know if it gives us the kind of a, a strategical knowledge or strategical uh, positioning to handle the, the, the issue or deal with the issue and know that the issue is continuous. It's is a, a loop to continual. The struggle still continues. We know about that, but it has to be combined not only simply in, 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 this, in the issue around racial justice, but connect the racial justice to the exploitation of humanity, the exploitation of the earth and the export, exploitation of the same class the same class of people, and the issue of class. We have to bring in the issue of class as well.
0: Right. Well, on that note, uh, Danny Glover, thank you so much for all of your tireless efforts, uh, for all of us to be free, and for taking the time of, to be on the show and being a friend of this show. Danny Glover, you take good care. Be well and safe. Thank you for thank joining you. us. Bye. Oh, all righty, bye bye. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. It is our Juneteenth special. And historian and author uh, Dr. Robin Kelly, listening to all of this and waiting to weigh in to put all this in historic and present day context. Uh, but before bringing um, Robin Kelly in, I'd like to welcome back to Sojourner Truth Barbara Arnwine, veteran civil rights and human rights leader and advocate, currently the president and founder of Transformative Justice Coalition for 26 years. She was the executive director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights, and she received international renown for her work on uh, civil rights, particularly the 1991 Civil Rights Act and the creation of the 2011 Voter Suppression Map of Shame. She continues to champion the issues of uh, civil rights in a number of areas. Barbara Arnwine, thank you so much for joining us and marking uh, Juneteenth, our Juneteenth special today. Thank you for joining us.
7: Well, I couldn't be more delighted that you're doing this show. Thank you so much, because this is where people's hearts are. And I'm so glad that you're highlighting all of this tremendous work that's going around the country right now. Uh, Margaret, think about it. You know, every time I call my people, I'm getting, like, Hundreds of, you know, emails from people are putting on Juneteenth celebrations. Uh, They are just, and you know what's really amazing that's blown my mind about this year's Juneteenth is that, like you were just saying, I would say at least 50% of all the ones I'm hearing about are being led by young people.
0: Right, that is that is absolutely amazing. So freedom, we really have to look at what does this mean? I mean, Juneteenth is known as Freedom Day. Yes, we're glad the Emancipation Proclamation happened. Yes, we're glad we're not out in the cotton fields and the cane fields, you know, working uh, for no wage whatsoever. But Barbara Arnwine, you and I know, we all know all of the challenges that we are facing and, and that we, it's a daily struggle for us uh, yes. people of African descent to try to get free in the area of um, voter suppression and the challenge of the vote. You and I had a conversation about this the other day. People are saying they haven't seen anything like this in a lifetime. You tie that in to the fact that the very Congress um, that passed Juneteenth as a national holiday, you've got Republicans in that Congress and a few Democrats behind them that are blocking um, passage of a major um, voting rights bill. Barbara Arnwine. Hello? Hello. Yeah, Barbara, can you still hear us? Yes, found back. Yes. Okay. Yeah, Barbara, I I was asking you about some of the very Republicans and even some of the Democrats, (laughs) I'll have to say, who (laughs) voted for the Juneteenth holiday. There are blockers in um, Congress on a number of things that impact uh, black people, including voting rights. Your thoughts on this Juneteenth special?
7: Absolutely. Absolutely. The hypocrisy could not be clearer, plainer, and uglier uh, because— this is called symbolism. It, it's, you know, without substance. I mean, substance is reparations, right? Substance is passing the For the People Act to protect voters all over the country to make sure that there are uniform standards so that everybody throughout the nation knows when there's a federal holiday, uh, federal uh, election, that at least, that at least they're gonna have two weeks of early voting, including Sundays, so that they can be sold to the polls, that they know that they're going to be able to use, you know, their their not only their driver's license, but their phone bills and utility bills to prove their identification that they're and that they don't have to worry about the fact that they can't afford a car that they can't afford to get to the Department of Veh- Motor Vehicles that they know that they're automatically registered that they know all of these good things when they go to vote and that it's uniform from state to state to state you don't have to worry about each state having its own laws I mean, unless they're going to vote for substance then we really have to ignore when they vote for symbolism, because symbolism does nothing but gives you know, some little bit of, quote, legitimation. What we want as African-American people, we want all of our substantive rights. We want our voting rights. We want the right to, uh, you know, <laughs> to be able to teach uh, our history, the irony of this entirety of the vote yesterday is that the very people who are voting, who voted for the Juneteenth holiday, all saying a word to their colleagues in the states who are passing these bans on what they call critical race theory, and I call it critical racial truth, uh, but they, but, uh, and are banning the teaching of black history. I'm, let's get real, people. They're banning the teaching of black history, and then, but they're not saying a word to them. They're not saying our party can't stand on that. In fact, what they're saying behind the scenes, if anybody's got their ears open, they're actually saying that in 2022 they're going to run on race. They're going to run gone. on racial division. And, and so this is all a camouflage. This is all a front. This is none of this is real until they substantively support full rights for African Americans, First Nations people, Latinos, uh, you know, Asian Americans, and uh, young voters. Until we see these kinds of real substantive reforms, all of this is just uh, something that we take with a grain of salt because regardless of whether or not it was a holiday, black people were celebrating it as our holiday. We would have continued to do that regardless of what Congress did because we have that kind of sense of self-determination, that kind of sense of self-awareness, and we saw that in Tulsa this year when people, you know, it was just amazing to see the thousands of people who came to Tulsa. And by the way, Margaret, a little-known fact, uh, everybody talks about how Texas is the last state that people, uh, you know, that's why we call it Juneteenth. The actual reality is that the last state that actually informed people of the Emancipation Proclamation was Oklahoma. Ah, okay. Yes, yeah. I, didn't I didn't know that until I was in Oklahoma. Oklahoma. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't know that either. <laughs>
7: Right. right, we,
0: right. Learn, a we learn a lot. <laughs> we sure do from each other, and and Barbara Arnwine, you have been tireless um, working for freedom, uh, working for the for the right to vote, standing up not only uh, for our people, for people of African descent, but for people everywhere. So we so appreciate you and your work, <laughs> and I can't let you go, Barbara, until you tell us how people could uh, listen to your show or find out more about uh, the work that you're doing with your organization, Barbara Arnwine.
7: Thank you so much. People can follow our Voting Rights Act uh, work and our Voting Rights work and our voter justice work by going to votingrightsalliance.org. That's votingrightsalliance.org. And, you know, you can volunteer. You can become part of our networks because we put people in the street. Uh, I was there in Charleston uh, calling out Manton on Monday, Moral Monday, uh in West Virginia and saying, you know, Senator Manson, you better. You can't be talking about you're not gonna support the For the People Act and call yourself a uh you know, a representative of the people and the people of West Virginia got on his case and as you notice he's now responded uh a little bit. I mean he's come around to at least say he'll support something in the For the People Act, but it's not enough. And we're gonna keep pushing him. And I'm on my way today in a few hours. Uh, to New Orleans, and then to Jackson, then to Birmingham, because I'm joining the Black Voters Matters uh, as part of our Freedom Rides 2021. And we're going to nine states and ending up in Washington, D.C. on the 26th. So people join us in Washington, D.C. on the 26th at 12 o'clock noon. uh, That is for Saturday. And we'll be at 3rd in Pennsylvania. So come and join us. Also, the other way people can keep in touch with me is on Twitter. I'm at Barb73, uh, 73, Barb 73, and I'm constantly dropping word. And you can also you know, find out a lot from, about our organization at Transformative Justice Coalition on Facebook. Uh, we are active. We are about the fight. We are about getting our rights, and we're not going to stop until it. But, I mean, I love the fact that now Juneteenth is a holiday because a lot of people are going to hopefully learn about it. But we got to be clear that, uh, that they're playing two sides of the game. That they're, you know, there's one face of saying, oh, we love black folks, another face saying, destroy all your rights
0: absolutely and Barbara Arnwine, we're going to put that information on these freedom rights on our website Uh, we appreciate everything that you're doing and we we we're going to continue to cover that so we'll have you back uh, to find that out and Barbara I did take note as I was reading about Manchin kind of opening the door a little bit I'm like yep that's the Poor People's Campaign including Barbara Arnwine and them who are on his doorstep pointing out that the majority of people in West Virginia uh, support these kinds of policies that he is opposing so keep the pressure up thank you so very much Barbara Arnwine. Oh,
7: oh, thank, thank you thank you so thank much, so much. all righty we
0: are going to take a short station break dr robin kelly he's been listening to all of this we're giving him the rest of the hour stay with us you don't want to miss that we'll be right back by Sounds for Blackness. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner True. Check us out on our website at sotrueradio.org. If you're a member of Facebook, you can like and friend us on Facebook. Our handle on Instagram and uh, Twitter at So True Radio. We're also nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. Today, we'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and internationally. Actually, today, we just want to give a shout out to all of the diaspora, all of the African uh, diaspora. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. It is our Juneteenth uh, special. And uh, Let me introduce our next guest, uh, Dr. Robin Kelly, the Gary B. Nash Endowed Chair in U.S. History at UCLA. He's the author of several books, including Freedom Dreams, The Black Radical Imagination, Your Mama's Dysfunctional, Fighting the Culture Wars in Urban America, and Thelonious Monk, The Life and Times of an American Original. His essays have appeared in The New York Times, The Crisis, Boston Review, The Nation, The Voice, Literary Supplement, New Labor Forum, Journal of Palestinian Studies, Counterpunch, Signs, Journal of Women in Culture and Society, and a lot more. Robin Kelly not only has a, a reputation throughout California and the nation, but is also internationally known. Dr. Robin Kelly, thanks for taking time from your really busy schedule to join us as we mark Juneteenth for our Juneteenth special. Thank you.
8: Thank you, Thank you, Margaret. It's always, good it's always good to be with you, especially with especially Danny, with Glover, Danny and Glover and Barbara Arnwine.
0: <laughs> yes, what a That's treat. True. I just love, to, love today's show. Robin, what I'd like to do just to set things up and to give our listeners some more background, um, I'd like to play a clip from the Washington Post about what Juneteenth tells us about the value of black life.
1: Naomi Carrier celebrates Juneteenth because it's the day her great-great-grandmother, along with 300,000 other enslaved black Texans, learned that they were free.
9: The day of the jubilee they speak of, the day we're going to cross back over into Jordan, the day we're going to fly away. So they were anticipating freedom, and they knew that a logical outcome of the Civil War could mean freedom for African-American slaves, whether it happened or not.
1: Juneteenth has taken on this kind of symbolic reverence as the day that the Emancipation Proclamation finally got to Texas, but in reality, the Emancipation Proclamation didn't actually end slavery, and neither did the Civil War. People did.
9: Juneteenth happened two years after the Emancipation Proclamation that was scheduled to begin on January 1st, 1863 by Abraham Lincoln, but in Texas the enslaved people were not allowed to practice their freedom until June 19, 1865. And people will say, well, maybe they didn't get the, the news in time. Well, why were they late? They were late specifically because the planters needed to get another crop in the ground, and they did do that by Juneteenth. In fact, Abraham Lincoln had already been assassinated by the time the slaves in Texas were freed.
8: Yes, people in Texas knew about the Emancipation Proclamation, they just didn't enact it. They considered themselves a Confederacy.
1: The Emancipation Proclamation was more about war strategy than about freeing the slaves. It was written during the Civil War and only applied to a subset of states that seceded from the Union. But the mere mention of emancipation, coupled with the invitation to join the Army, motivated almost 200,000 black soldiers to join the Union and fight for their freedom on behalf of the Union, which forced equality to the forefront
9: of the conversation. The day that General Gordon Granger came and delivered the announcement, and he didn't read the Emancipation Proclamation, he only read General Order Number 3.
1: General Order Number 3 doesn't have any caveats or clauses, like the Emancipation Proclamation. And it doesn't just say that the enslaved people here are free. It says that they're equal.
8: What other document in American history discusses or references freed slaves as equal to their slave owners? You'd have to look long and hard to find it. And It's applicable on June 19, 1865. It's applicable on June 19, 2020. It's the same message.
9: When black people were freed, they got nothing. You got no wagon, no horses, no land, no tools, and most of all, no education. You're looking at a confederacy that doesn't want to yield and accept defeat. The military, who doesn't really have any real affinity for black people, we're just ex-military, And then you're looking at the freed people who have to protect themselves from the awful violence that was prevalent against them at the end of the Civil War. In some ways, it might have been just like running away on the Underground Railroad.
0: Just like running go on the Underground Railroad. So, Dr. Robin Kelly, we do want to hear your thoughts on this Juneteenth, but we're also going to depend on you to give us a little historic context here. Your thoughts on why the Emancipation, why Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation in the first place, and uh, also just – we still – Fighting to be free, but a lot of people also assume that it was Lincoln who freed the slaves, as opposed to black folks freeing themselves. Uh, Robin Kelly.
8: Exactly. No, no, exactly. In fact, one of the things that that disturbs me is this idea that um, that General Granger brought the news of freedom to black people. For uh, one thing, you know, he was in Galveston and and you know read this Order Number Three. Um, but it's not as if black people in Texas didn't know about the Emancipation Proclamation. But let's, let's step back. I mean, what was it? It was a war document. It wasn't it, a—what it, what Lincoln basically did was um, proclaim free enslaved people in the rebellious states, which means that he had no jurisdiction over those states. So it's not as if Confederate plantation owners would just free enslaved people. And that's why the only, this is why the only way that, um, slavery ended in the South was through the work of enslaved people themselves. When Union forces came within the vicinity of plantations, black people knowing that they were free, they knew they were free from the moment they were born. They knew they were just in chains. They fled. They fled to Union lines. Um, what makes Texas different is that there wasn't much of a war fought in Texas. Uh, Much of the battle was east of the Mississippi. So the idea that, say, people would be able to run away to Union lines, and there are no Union lines, have are few, um, made it almost impossible. And so it's like people biding their time, engaging in forms of sabotage. And some people were running away, in fact. Uh, But one other thing I should mention about Texas is that Texas then became the place where plantation owners were fleeing across the Mississippi, uh, taking their slaves with them into Texas as kind of like the last holdover uh, of to, to, to maintain slavery as the war was going on and as the Confederacy was being defeated. But the most important thing, and W. Du Bois says this in Black Reconstruction, He says, you know, it's a general strike that led to the collapse of the Confederacy. The general strike is half a million of people leaving the plantation, leaving the place of work, undermining the the whole Confederate economy and the war economy. Uh, And that is why the Union won the the war. But but again, the the federal government may have won the war against the Confederacy in the short term, but in the long term, as we know, the South won the Civil War by – maintaining and implementing Jim Crow and denying the right to vote and all that stuff. But I just, I just want to say that because I'm really disturbed by how this narrative of Juneteenth, as if somehow people are just waiting uh, from on high to be free, and that's not the spirit of Juneteenth, nor is it what Juneteenth represents, when it was called Jubilee Day.
0: Absolutely, and and of course, uh, you know all of the slave rebellions that are not necessarily taught in the schools uh, or barely get a mention, including the New York slave revolt, revolt in in 1712, the German Coast uprising in Louisiana in 1811. That's said to be one of the largest uprising, um, which was inspired by the Haitian Revolution in 1804, Nat Turner's slave rebellion in Virginia 1831, among so many others. So in addition to just the general resistance that you uh, mentioned these major uprisings. Now, um, Robin Kelly, just fast forward a little bit then to the post-slavery uh, era. You heard the uh, the woman say, well, we didn't get anything. They didn't give us, you know, we, we left the plantations basically with nothing. So talk about this first reconstruction period because Reverend William Barber and Reverend Liz Theo Harris, Joint Coordinators of the Poor People's Campaign, they're now calling for a third Reconstruction. And we're finding that a lot of folks are saying, okay, huh, the third? What was the fourth? First. Can you just fill us in a little bit about that and what happened in terms of how it was destroyed? Right.
8: So, um, the first Reconstruction, um, black people almost got something. <laughs> almost. And then it was rolled back. So, basically yeah. what happened with the collapse of the Confederacy, they had to rebuild the nation. And Uh, At first, under Andrew Johnson, he's like, there's no possible way we're going to redistribute land to formerly enslaved people. There's no possible way we're going to even allow black people to vote. And so there was a great deal of opposition, and we're trying to get the old Confederacy back into power. But that failed. It was kind of overthrown by uh, radical Republicans and by black people themselves. And in the process, the short version of the story is that you have what's called... um, Congress, basically, Congressional that is reconstruction. reconstruction. That is to say that um, uh, that people who waged war against the United States did not immediately have the right to vote. Uh, the passage ultimately of the Fifteenth Amendment and certainly the Fourteenth Amendment, giving citizenship rights to black people, allowed for the first time black participation in electoral politics. Black people ran for office. They ran legislatures in places like South Carolina and Mississippi. They passed some of the most progressive laws uh, in U.S. history, laws that laws would, that would that abolish whipping, laws that would lead, lead to, lead to, to that would demand land reform. land reform, laws that created free universal public education for all people, not just black people. You know, laws to basically end forms of, of exploitation to overturn what was called the black codes, the codes that limited black mobility, black rights, uh, and also overturned what was called the Apprenticeship Laws, which were laws, again, part of the black codes that allowed plantation owners to keep uh, people under 21 years old on the plantation if no one could claim them. So it's a continuation of slavery. But all that was overthrown in part with the support support of the federal government. Um, And that was the end of Reconstruction. But it didn't quite end entirely because it continued to be these interracial, multiracial coalitions, parties like the Greenback Labor Party, the the Knights of Labor, uh, the populist movement. A lot of them continued to run for office and fight to maintain some semblance of rights for black people. So it wasn't really until the 1890s into uh, the 1900s that you actually see the disfranchisement of black people, the denial of the vote in mass numbers, which is exactly what we're seeing now. But I just before we go, I just want to say one thing about what the day of, what Jubilee actually meant, because it's a reminder of what the vision of enslaved people, formerly enslaved people, was for the nation. Jubilee refers to the biblical um, uh, Jubilee. That is. In Leviticus chapter 25, there was a promise of the return of, of the land to the divine authority. That is, you basically um, give the land back, right? It, it says, the land, the land is mine, God says, the land is mine, and you are coming into it as aliens and settlers. The second element was the cancellation of all debt, and the third is the freeing of all, freeing of all slaves. And so, if these are the three pillars of a kind of reconstruction vision coming out of Texas, for example, coming out of a, a jubilee, I should say, it's not Texas limited. It's jubilee is the whole idea of emancipation. Then those three pillars were the pillars that people envision a new future, ending debt, redistribution of land, a new commons and no slavery whatsoever. And that vision is the vision that Juneteenth, you know, to this day, should be driven by, not uh, that Juneteenth is a day of just uh, sales, you know, that you get Juneteenth sales, and would make money that way, or, you know, yeah. but it really, it should be a way of, of rebuilding the nation and actually fulfilling the dream of Reconstruction, the first Reconstruction, that Reverend Barber and Lucille Harris and the whole movement is trying to fulfill. That is, you create a new common, you cancel all debt, you end poverty and you end all forms of unfreedom and extend the rights of of civil rights and human rights to all people. And that's basically what what they're calling for. We've been fighting for
0: since
8: since sixteen nineteen. <laughs>
0: right I'm so glad you pointed that out because earlier um, with um, when Danny Glover was on uh, we talked a little bit about you know how the attempts to whitewash Martin Luther King after you know the King holiday that was so hard fought for now that we have a Juneteenth holiday we already know the efforts to to whitewash slavery I mean if you know the gall of these people right uh, Robin Kelly I mean with the attacks of the 1619 project with Texas wanting to you know rewrite. Uh, the textbooks and now Abbott, governor, the governor of Texas, talking about he's building a wall between with Mexico. Then Texas was Mexico, if you know what I mean, was taken. Uh, the, I mean, the gall of these people. So uh, you're absolutely right to highlight. We all have to remember what Juneteenth is really about and should be about and not allow that kind of whitewashing to happen. But one of the things, um, Robin Kelly, that Danny Glover... Um, Made fast-forwarding a a a bit to today. He because we're talking about freedom. We all know we're not free, Robin. We still it's a daily work, right? Um, So. The he, he said that it really can't happen without systemic change. That's really a, a, a big debate because there are some people who, who do have the view, well, you know, if we just get a little education, of course, all of that is important. We just get our piece of the pie. Everything is going to be all right. But is it going to be all right? I mean, look at what's happening with the environment, with uh, what's going on in the global south. I mean your thoughts on the relationship then with freedom and what Danny was talking about in terms of systemic change, Robin Kelly.
8: Danny is absolutely right as always. And that is that you can't, we, we can't move forward by simply celebrating and recognizing the end of slavery as if they're not other forms of unfreedom that we're dealing with today. Um, what we're seeing at least in the last 40 years is the greatest, uh, uh, expansion of inequality that we've seen since the 1890s, basically. We've, we're, we're seeing immense poverty in this really wealthy country, more billionaires than ever, and it is also racial. And like Danny says, race and class are not separate entities. And I think one of the best ways to illustrate this struggle for, um, for systemic change is to see how Juneteenth has actually been used over in the 20th century i mean the poor people's campaign in 1968 held its own juneteenth solidarity rally uh which attracted like 60,000 people and the poor people's campaign in 68 when king and reverend ralph abernathy and others were involved they were making a demand demand to for massive expenditure to end poverty for all people poor white people indigenous people um black people uh, that next. The other thing is that in 1998, 30 years later, the Black Radical Congress, which is a, a black left formation calling for socialist change, calling for an end to racism, an end to patriarchy, they held their founding meeting on Juneteenth on purpose as a way, again, to celebrate uh, the Day of Jubilee. Um, in 2001, there was a Juneteenth celebration in North Carolina organized by who? By the Farm Labor Organizing Committee, Black Workers for Justice, and United Electrical Workers to celebrate the unity of black and Latino workers to form a new movement for social justice in the South. And so the emphasis and orientation on the working class fighting to, to, if not end capitalism, at least alter it, so that you don't produce such great inequality and poverty and, dis- and displacement is important. And One thing I would add to that, as we think really hard about what the systemic change might look like, we've got to think hard about indigenous people. Um, as Barbara uh, said, Oklahoma was one of the last places, was the last place, where the question of emancipation, it's not that people didn't know, but was that it really wasn't brought up in a robust way, in part because you had the existence of other forms of slavery. Uh, The so-called five civilized tribes, uh, some own slaves, Cherokee, you know, and emancipation in Oklahoma took on a slightly different valence because of that. But part of what Oklahoma represents for all of us is ground zero for the Trail of Tears, for the dispossession of Native Americans. And if we're going to talk fiercely about structural change, we've got to think about how to restore sovereignty, back to indigenous nations, uh, because I, I, for one, would much rather live uh, in, in a society and by water protectors than by uh, militarism. You know, just <laughs> that's my choice. Um, but we have to think really hard about how to restore harmony to this earth as we think about things like reparations and repair, because we can't do that That's part of the structural change that's demanded uh, of of, us right now.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm glad you mentioned what you did about indigenous lands and, and the water protectors, because the reality is, is that one of the um, impediments uh, to freedom uh, for black people, but likely for all of us now, is the environmental crisis, the environmental racism that's going on in, in Cancer Alley, in um, inner cities across the nation on indigenous lands, where so much of the mining and the, the rare earth minerals uh, need Needed are on indigenous lands, and also the exploitation that happens on the continent in places like the Congo with cobalt and, and the rest of it needed uranium needed uh, for weapons, for cell phones, for television, etc. And I, I can't believe it. Just looking at the clock, Robin, we need we, we need like a whole course with you, right um, uh, here. But just as we are are wrapping up, your uh, thoughts on that, and also on the call for a third reconstruction, which the Poor People's Campaign is calling for. Uh, and I wonder your your thoughts on that, because we can see the, the, the racist threat of policing in, in the U.S., the, the slave patrols, the Fugitive Slave Act, all of that, we can draw a direct line to the, the, the killing of, of George Floyd that the whole world saw, or the killing of, of black women in South Central L.A. by C- serial murders that nobody really gives a damn about, that kind of devaluation of human life. If you don't value a, a life, then it's okay to take a life. Um, just on this, as we mark Juneteenth, Robin Kelly, give us your final thoughts here on all this. Right. Well,
8: the third, the third Reconstruction that we need, and I think the one that um, Reverend Barber and others are calling for, will be the most radical Reconstruction, because it's not simply... Uh, reform It's not simply fixing a system, it's basically abolishing it and replacing it with something else. So, we need a reconstruction that abolishes state violence, that abolishes the police as we know it, that abolishes prison, that abolishes um, any, uh, uh, that, that creates institutions that protect everyone. Because, of course, as you know better than anyone, uh, women, black women, women of color in particular, are being killed at a much greater rate than the police are killing them, And so that's, that's, right. that's a state of emergency. This is part of, of creating new alternative institutions. And we also got to think about the abolition of private property as we know it, the abolition of privatization of the way in which people get pushed off of, of lands and having access, the abolition of super expensive education and free tuition for all. But then the final thing I would think about this, is, and I've just kind of yeah, touched the surface, is when we think about abolitionist politics and the third reconstruction, our, our reconstruction can't be national. It must be global. You hit the nail on the head when you talked about the environment. This, this climate catastrophe is not limited to Turtle Island. You know, it's, it's a global one, and one that requires, going back to Leviticus again, the abolition of all debt, the abolition of all third world debt, all global south debt, the creation of institutions that could, uh, where we have a kind of global uh, structure to defend and protect this environment and reverse 500 years of, of colonial uh, rule in capitalism. That's what we need. And that's, I think, the vision of reconstruction that that could save us. And if we don't go that far, Uh, we're doomed again. We're going to end up where we were in 1890.
0: Right. Well, on that note, um, Robin Kelly, we're so always so glad when we could uh, manage to get you on and and really break all of this down uh, for us. Thank you so very much for joining us. And sadly, we are out of time, but we really appreciate you and your work. Thank you, Robin Kelly. Thank you, Kelly. And we'd like to thank all of today's guests. Uh, today's show produced by me. That's that's Margaret Prescott. Our audio engineer Kiana Williams. Our assistant producer Romero Funes. If you'd like a copy of today's show, please contact the Pacifica Radio Archives. Thank you for listening, and y'all, please stay well and safe. This is your host, Margaret Prescott.
1: No